you right now you're you're public speaking, but in a much more intimate. You're not like the keynote speaker at a huge conference per se, although you could do that in rows and have done that. Yeah. Um, the idea of you know your favorite you said blows your hair back to just be an intimate conversation. <laughs> exactly with a couple people like you know um at a time where you have really intimate conversations like the one we're having gonna have today um and i actually was in patagonia this last week with a dear friend of mine named Erin montgomery and i started talking about you because i'm a big fan and she was like i went to an event he did during sundance film festival and she said it was so powerful she said that when he hugged me, I literally like, he just kept holding me and she was, I, something happened to me where I was one of the most powerful first encounters with a human being I've ever had. She was, I felt so loved and he like, didn't let go. And that she was like, it was disarming. Um, she said it was amazing. And then hearing him talk, she's like, he's just magic. So you've made a lot of good impressions on a lot of people. So Hug, hugs are a sacrament. So yeah. Ex oh my gosh. It's amazing. So I'd love to hear your share a little bit, your story of how you became the Paul Young that the world now is receiving is this incredible bestseller. Oh, I became that way slowly, arduously, painfully. It's, uh, you know, we all bring to the table what we have and you never know the whole story, right? Not even, I don't even know the whole story. So I do know what my history uh, helped me bring to the table. And a lot of it wasn't good. A lot of it was great. But um, I grew up, I'm um, Canadian born. Grew up in the highlands of New Guinea. I was a year old when we moved there. My parents were um, Western evangelical fundamentalist missionaries. But they had a real heart for going into places that nobody had ever been before. And so that's why we ended up in Cannibal Valley, which was the nickname, because they did practice ritualistic cannibalism. And uh, I was a year old, so that's my first world. I was... Uh, Donnie was my first dreaming language. And uh, when I was five, an organization called Wycliffe, who translates languages and, and New Testament primarily in, into those languages, uh, they needed an informant. And at five, I was the only one who could speak the language fluently and speak English. And so I became the informant. At six, I was sent away to boarding school, which I think... I don't even know if there is a non-travesty in that. And uh, it's, a it's a horrible situation, but it was part of a culture, um, a Christian culture, in which the idea was that if you, if you were willing to sacrifice your children on the altar of God's purposes, it would be rewarded. Unfortunately, it didn't reward the children. So part of my great sadness is that my, my dad was a, a violent disciplinarian and I'm the firstborn so I got uh, I got I got most of that and uh, so he terrified me from the time that I can remember and and he passed away about a almost two years ago now and we finished well but man it took us till about four years ago to finish well <laughs> and uh, that's a whole story by itself so he he didn't have a chip for being a dad. And I didn't know that. I didn't know his dad had destroyed that in him before I showed up. And then I know now that his dad before him. Um, thankfully, I have this aunt who is 103 years old, and she's a she's a storyteller historian. And uh, so we've got a book like this thick about family history. So I know a lot of the stuff about our family. 
especially in a generation that they didn't tell anything, and uh, which is the older one. Sexual abuse started for me in the culture. I don't know whether I was targeted or, or whether it was endemic to the culture, but it started about five years old. Um, and that's why, in part, in the shack, the, the child that is abducted and killed is five years old. And uh, so both characters, both main characters in the shack represent me. Both their initials spell map, you know? And um, so that started at five. At six, I went to boarding school and it continued in a whole different setting. And uh, so there was all the issues of abandonment. There was also all the issues of, of losing my culture because I didn't realize, I, I didn't acknowledge or realize or wasn't a conscious thing that I was not a Donnie. So I lost my culture, I lost my color, I lost my connections. And, um, and then we moved back to Canada when I was about 10, 13 schools before I graduated high school. Didn't know what else to do because I didn't understand the culture at all, which is, a, which is a very powerful thing as well as a very debilitating thing. When you move into a new culture, you don't make the assumptions that that culture makes. And you ask really good questions. And because you don't understand the assumptions that that culture makes, that's a very powerful thing. But you also get marginalized, ostracized, whatever, because you don't fit. And uh, a lot of third culture kids, whether they're business parent kids that travel between cultures or missionary kids or military kids, a lot of third culture kids really don't understand where they belong. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what else to do. I had a, had a kind of um, mixed relationship with, the God, with God. I was more, for God the Father was more ambivalent and, and Jesus I could trust, um, but I was always attracted to beauty and always attracted to art and always attracted to there being something more than just the material. Even the material spoke of something more, and uh, and I was drawn to that. Plus, I had I had all these questions that I wasn't allowed to ask because they were about the assumptions, and you're not allowed to ask questions about the assumptions. And um, so, a lot of mess, tremendous amount of mess in my life, you know. And I became um, I became a hider, and, and it turns out, and I didn't believe this until I was in my mid to late twenties. And uh, that I'm actually smart and that I'm actually creative. I just thought I knew how to fool people. And uh, so there was this always this imposter thing going on, always this hypervigilance, compartmentalization, all the survival skills that sexual abuse abused uh, individuals have. And um, thank, thank God that I married Kim. Uh, she paid a huge price. And uh, but she saved my life, and and we were we were talking about that some last night, you know. After all these years, we've been married now forty four years, and we're the best we've ever been. But it was hell getting there. In ninety January second, nineteen ninety four, Kim caught me in a three month affair with one of her best friends, and that blew up the world. I couldn't maintain that spiritual distance kind of performance orientation 
and uh, it just blew up. It blew up my whole world. And I had to choose between suicide and, and seeing if there was a way to change. And that started an 11-year tearing down, rebuilding journey about everything. And uh, 11 years for Kim, Kim and I to heal. 11 years before she, she said, she said in front of her, and I, we didn't make my adultery the new secret. In fact, at that point, I couldn't handle the idea that there would be any more secrets in my life. And I told her the very first day, if we're going to do this, I need to tell you every secret I have. And it took me four days to tell her all my secrets. We had destroyed her. And she said, I'll never believe another word that comes out of your mouth the rest of your life. And I thought, and why would you? Why would you? Right? So I decided to just one day at a time do the next right thing. I pulled the yellow pages off the shelf, found a undersea founded counselor, you know, little organization called Agape Youth and Family Services. And they had a box. We specialize in sexual abuse histories. And so I went and for the first time in my life told asked somebody, can you help me? And that's when I met Scott Mitchell, who, who for the next nine months helped, helped save my life. And, uh, but that was the very first part of 11 years of dismantling and rebuilding. And at the end, at the end of those 11 years, we're sitting in a group of people who all knew my story. And Kim says, I never thought I would ever say this, but it was all worth it. Because, and she's not trying to justify adultery. There's no justification for adultery. She's saying there's nothing so dead that God can't grow something living in it. Or so lost that God doesn't know where it is. Or so broken that God can't heal it. And she was saying, this man is worth it too. So that was the, that was the end, end of the 11th year, the 12th year, the year I turned 50. Kim had been saying to me for a while, you know, someday as a gift for our kids, would you just write something that puts in one place how you think? And later she tells me like three to five pages is what she was thinking. But on, on the, mostly on the max train to one of my three jobs, I started writing a story and at Christmas, got, got a little extra money, went down to Office Depot and on their photocopier made 15 copies of the shack. And, uh, Gave six to our kids. Fifteen, you get a price break at Office Depot. And, um, 50, you know, six to the kids. Kim and I kept one. I had these extras, so I gave them to my friends. Went back to work. Never intended to be a published author. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing sitting on my shoulder. And uh, But I'd always been a reader, you know, and, and I'm convinced now that if you want to be a good writer, read, read good writers. And... Uh, and I'd written stuff, little stuff, poetry and short stories and songs. But this was different. And, and by the time I wrote it, I was ready to write it. And the, part of the beautiful thing is that by 50, because of those 11 years, everything that mattered was in place. The book didn't give me identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, love. Didn't give me any of those things. It gave me an invitation to walk onto the holy ground of other people's stories. That has been 
the greatest gift that the shack has given to me. And, uh, and the 15 copies did everything that I ever wanted it to do. You know, it did. Well, the, the six did for my kids. And then my friends started giving it away. And that started a whole chain reaction that turned into this, this, I don't know, monster is the wrong word, but, but <laughs> this big, huge thing. Yeah. This unbelievable platform. Paul, that is a stunning story. Your bravery and vulnerability to share some of the unsavory parts of your history and the grace in which you are so grateful to both God, yourself, and your beautiful wife to overcome these things is pretty um, inspiring. So thank you so much. Can I say something? Yeah. I, I hate that we hide. Mm. You know, how how is anybody supposed to live an authentic life if everybody's hiding? And And we don't see it very much. And I'm not authentic in order to make a point. The requirement of wholeness is to be authentic, is yeah. to be a truth teller. Yeah, And so everything's got to be on the table because secrets are snipers, you know, <laughs> and they'll take you out. And so everybody that has secrets like that is waiting. Yeah. They're just waiting and, and they're really nervous about waiting. And, uh, and the beautiful thing about God is that God has committed to expose us because the unexposed is the unhealed. And so, you know, and, and so it's, it's not about bravery or courage it's about fundamental desperation to come to a place of healing you can't do that if you maintain your persona that you have to self-protect and self-promote you know that's what an that's what a false identity does and and a secret all auto, i love surprises but a secret automatically puts you into a place where you have to self-protect and self-promote yeah yeah, that's why it's not authentic. You can't be an authentic human being because you're always guarding yourself, and you and you have to have good memory. You know, Paul, you 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 nailed it. In fact, your book Eve that I just finished reading, which is a story of a young girl who was human trafficked who has her own trauma and her interactions with the Adam and Eve story and the origin story of humanity and her relationship with God. There's a line in it where they say, "There's no such thing as secrets. There's just surprises amongst friends." And I really loved that because funny enough, the day that I was read that part in the book, I was with a friend who also had suffered severe childhood incestual sexual abuse on the at the hands of her own brothers. And she's now going to be telling her story. She recently told her teenage daughters during the Kavanaugh hearings when questions came online about the Me Too movement and sexual abuse. And her and her husband had to sit these teenage girls down about the potential risks of being a woman in the world. And her daughters asked, mom, has anything like this ever happened to you? And this is the first time there was a, a, an age appropriate moment for the mother to now lean in. And she said, you know what? Yes. And I'll tell you more about it, but I need to talk to some other people first because it will impact them. And she had the integrity and the love in her heart to go to her brothers and say, I'm going to be telling my daughters what you did to me as a child. And I'm going to be telling my story now at this phase in my healing. And yeah. so she did. And like at the end, she actually said the same thing to me. She said, I don't believe in secrets. I believe in surprises because surprises have more of a loving timing that are that it's intimate versus secrets that the intention is to keep from being seen, to your point, Paul. So so I'd love to hand this over to um, Phil, who's been an amazing friend on my journey of holding my surprises um and as a human being and hopefully you know i've been honored that he shared with me his surprises as a friend but i can honestly say with phil 
Zahn, you know, that's how our relationship has been, is that something where there's trust, equity, and love between each other. And we know no matter what comes up on life, we're going to be together and love each other through it. And so, and, I, and same with our spouses, it's been an incredibly healing journey to be together. Um, but so what does that bring up for you or what questions or thoughts do you have? Well, I mean, dang, it brings up a lot of stuff for me, of course, because I'm like, for the first time in my life, Paul, I'm finally living with no secrets in my closet, right? And recognizing how bad it hurts to be real in a world where people don't match that authenticity, like how embarrassing it is to choose joy on a daily basis, how embarrassing it is to be willing to like get in trouble for doing bad things. Like there are these boys, I have to call their parents last night at youth group. And I'm like, guys, I've been talking to you about this for weeks. You like can't steal laptops. You can't play Roblox. You can't hide from us. You can't like, we're in charge of your safety. And they said, well, you can't do that. Our parents aren't going to let us go to basketball. And I said, and whose fault will that be? And I'm recognizing that both in life and in marriage and following this Jesus from Nazareth, that I'm allowed to be authentic. And this, you know, you can read in the scriptures that love covers over a multitude of sins or love can pretty much cover over anything. But I'm wondering how you would define when the scriptures or when Jesus talk about love because love has been one of the most confusing things to the world, especially in Christendom. I think that um, yeah. understanding that love is not an emotion to feel, but maybe a person to know uh, would be a really helpful, like, I don't want to have to code shift at church, you know, to try to like fit into people sure, who are like, sure, sure. we know him, we know him. And I'm like, but do you? Because I thought I did and I didn't. And what I think I know now, I probably don't. And so there's this childlikeness about understanding that love is not earned, not deserved. It's just given. And we like sometimes just, we'll just call it grace. But I'm wondering if you could help me understand yeah. at a more simple childlike level, right. just what love actually is. You know, like when sure. that, that love sure. type that we're talking now, about. I have a, a few different thoughts. One is that real love is always based on knowing. And it's not love that actually grows. It's knowing that grows. Love is simply the skin of knowing. That's why infatuation is so wrong because infatuation is based on not knowing. If, if you get infatuated with someone, all you have to do is get to know them and that, that will quickly die. And so it's the real, real knowing is always a, um, something that is growing love on the outside of it. And um, so that's really important. That, that you, I mean, with a baby that's coming, you don't know a lot about it, but even in the womb, you love that baby. And then as the baby begins to grow, so does your love because the love isn't actually growing. It's the knowing of that child that grows. Yeah. That's why you can love different children in different that's ways great. because of their uniqueness, right? Mm. And so your love then is, is the skin of the, of the growing knowledge of the uniqueness of that person. You know, this is eternal life that you know him and the one who he sent. That's it's right, knowing. Bro. Yes. Okay. So second thing is that love is going to be defined basic. The closest we get to it, real love is the way we love our children. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's an atheist, wonderful human being, love him to the bones. And, uh, and I, when I first met him, I asked him, so tell me what you actually believe in. 
And he thought about it. He's, he's like, nobody ever asked me that. You know, they always ask me what I don't believe in. And uh, I'm like, well, no, tell me what you do believe in. And he said, I'll tell you what I b believe in. I believe in the love I have for my sons. And I said, he said, as irrational as it seems, because he was a materialist, right? As irrational as it seems, I would step in front of a bullet for them. And so I said, so you could, could you define it this way? Other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificial, co-suffering, no. forgiving love. Could you define it in those, in those ways? He said, that's exactly what it is. Yes. That is the definition of agape. God is other-centered, self-giving, co-suffering, self-sacrificial, forgiving, right? And uh, and so that is what real love is. And he experiences that with his children, regardless of his connection to anything else, right? He knows that. And what parent does it? Who's healthy? What parent who has any degree of health wouldn't die for their child, right? Their love is other-centered, co-suffering. When their child hurts, they hurt, right? other-centered, co-suffering, self-sacrificial, forgiving, right? All of these things are where real love is. So that's how we ground ourselves in an understanding of love. Third thing, wholeness is when the ways of our being match the truth of our being. So the big wholeness, holiness, wholeness, wholeness, integrity, right? Two sides of an equation matching, right? Wholeness is when the ways of our being, how we act, how we choose, all that, are an authentic expression of the truth of our being. See, our problem is, with within the Christian culture, is that we define the truth of our being on the basis of our actions. So, so we say the truth of your being is this. I'll give you an example, kind of similar to what you were talking about. Um, have a grandson, he's a teenager, He's sneaking uh, screen time, right? So, so he constantly loses his privilege because yeah. he's got three sisters, you know. Yeah. So they're going to tell everything all the time, and it's a great, it's a it's a great deal. So I'm talking to him. It's like I haven't been able to get to you on your phone. He says I don't have it. So it starts with a day, then two days, and five days, and a week, and then two weeks. And uh, so one day I'm saying to him, so. Do you think of yourself as a liar? Head goes down, sign of shame, right? Can't look it in the face because you don't want to see disgust. And he says, yes. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think you're a liar at all. I think you're a truth teller who doesn't know. You're a, that you're a truth teller who doesn't know he's, he's not a liar. He doesn't know that he's a truth teller, right? Because I, I've got all these friends on death row, right? I got all these friends on death row in Tennessee. And they're my friends. And um, they love me and I love them. And not one of them wants to be a killer. No. Not one of them. You go down below all the stuff that's happened to them and what they brought to the table and what people did to them. And you go down below all of that. Not one of them wants to be someone who lies. No. They want to be a truth teller. They want to be kind. They want to be gentle. Yeah. They want to be a life giver. You know, that's these right. guys built built a table in their workshop that seats 12 people, sits in front of their little law library, 
and it's called the Table of Reconciliation. They called it the Table of Reconciliation. And the agreement on death row is that anytime any of the guys have a problem with each other, they'll show up at the Table of Reconciliation and deal with it, stay there until it's resolved, or they'll bring in a third party to help them, right? So what is the truth of our being? I grew up with piece of theology, right? Mm -hmm. That the truth of your being is that you have a sin nature, you're totally depraved, you know, Martin Luther. Yes, sir. We are snow-covered dung, right? That the truth of our being is we are a piece of dung. And uh, and once you once you start to believe that, everything becomes about behavioral control. That's right. Behavioral modification, moralism, all of that kind of stuff. The word sin itself in the original language, in the Greek, is hamartia. And it's translated or interpreted as missing the mark. But missing the mark of what? Well, ha is a negation. Martia, its root is meros, which means origin or form. It's missing the mark of your origin or form, not your behavior. It's got nothing to do with behavior, right? Your behavior is an expression of what you believe to be the truth of who you are. So if you think you're a piece of crap, you're going to act like a piece of crap. Yeah, and it's and so so for for my grandson, he's like. No, you're a truth teller. Let's go talk to Jesus and see what he says about this. And everybody inside of them has a safe place. Everybody. It's the easiest place to have a conversation with love, with God, however you want to want to put the language. But you can invite Jesus to come talk to you. And then you can say, who do you say that I am? So he did that. And he told, told me where his safe place was under this tree and by this farm and, and all this. And uh, Jesus came and he said, Jesus, who do you say I am? And Jesus said, well, who, what name do you call me by? That's what he asked. And Jesus said, I call you a truth. I call you a truth teller. See, now he's got something inside. And for, for a long time after that, every time I saw him, I said, who are you exactly? He'd go, I'm a truth teller. And it took a while, but now he's got, he's got a stone on the inside, a rock on the inside by which you can... You can say all of these things about him and he won't take it seriously because he knows the truth about who he is. Oh, right? good. So we've got to learn from the inside out, you know? And so if we then try moralism to get people to change their behavior, all you're going to do is increase the war that they're already experiencing because down deep, they, don't, they think that they are a piece of crap. Yeah. And now they're trying to get God to help them be the good dog that takes power over the bad dog, mm -hmm. you know, which is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. If you are fundamentally a bad dog, you're never going to win that war ever. All it takes is one little imperfection. It would be like the difference between reformation versus trans transformation. Like you're not becoming a better form of who you are or a, a better wolf. You're becoming a sheep. Yeah. Like you're, you're recognizing you're something wholly yeah, different through metamorphosis of identity. Yeah, it's not even becoming something. Mm. It's it's the revelation of something. Returning to origin. Right? Yeah. You don't have yeah. Correct, correct. You yeah, don't have yes, sir. Yeah. Paul the Apostle praying that, you know, that you'll become a better self. That's right. Paul the Apostle is saying that the inside eyes would be revealed so that you would know the truth about who you are. Very good. Mm. What's the truth about who you are? You're made in the image and likeness of God. Very good, yeah. That's down below everything. Yes, sir. So what does that mean? That means that by nature, you are kind. By nature, you are patient. Yeah. This is why nobody in the New Testament 
praise for any of those things. Yeah. Find me a, a verse saying, pray for patience. Yeah. Nobody. It's, what do we have? An idea that God has a little jar of patience and he goes like, well, he prayed the right way, so we'll give him a spoonful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. It's that this is your nature. You've always been in union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yeah. or you would cease to exist. Yeah, yeah. Very which is good. true for every single human being on the planet, mm. you know? And so by nature, you will not meet anybody who is not in union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will not meet Agreed. anybody in whom they are not in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, not anything that came into the world came into the world apart from Him. And so you've got, you've got no separation. And most of our performance theology is built on separation. And it's wrong. This is not a God who's ever been alone. This is why in Genesis, the first not good is being alone, right? And which Adam thought and thought his relationship with God was that he was alone. And it's in his separation. It's not like, oh, he didn't have a woman. It's not that at all. It is, it is not good. The first not good. Good, 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 good. Very good, very good. Not good, right? Not good does not originate with God. And so the first, the first thing, it's not good that Adam be in his separation. Right. And so so he takes them to the animals. Is there a face to face you find here? Brings brings the woman as his salvation if he will turn to face and face to face. But then she he absolutely betrays her. She's totally deceived. And he puts the blame on her, puts the blame on God. So, you know, it's it's how this whole picture works. And in my life, in my life, all the behavior modification, self-discipline stuff never defeated my addictions. And I was, by 12, I was, a, I was a porn addict to the core, and I hated it. I hated myself. I hated the addiction. But, you know, a lot of times, porn is the imagination of a real relationship apart from the risk of, uh, an imagination of a relationship apart from the risk of a real one. It's a survival skill for those who are lost. And, uh, but I, you know, I brought it into my marriage. She, Kim didn't know about it until the world blew up. But what destroyed my addiction was not now, oh, self-discipline, which is right. not a fruit of the spirit. No, sir. Self-control come, all of the real ones come from the inside. Nice. Right? So what destroyed the addiction was that I, I realized inside eyes open, I am, I am self-controlled and pure of heart. Yes, sir. I am pure of heart. That is the truth about me. An awakening. They call it in the East, Eastern philosophies, they call it an awakening. Too. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then so then there's this there's an opposite of the separation, right? That leads to the not knowing and the confusion. And we try to information our way back. We try to truth our way back. We try to holy book our way back or religion our way back. And it's just not yeah. working. So I have forty thousand denominations right, of information. It, 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 you yep. know, we can we can start at information and miss love, but if we start at love, we'll always get to information. So, the scripture that I'm wondering how you would maybe counter that is that by our unity, people will know that God loves them and that Jesus is who He says He is. But that if if you and I would choose to be unified, then the whole world will know God's love for them, right? Which is where I think oftentimes we should right and start with me. Right, it's the unifying to my true identity, unifying back to Adam, the man and woman combined as flesh, accepting that there is a 
a headship, but not a leadership. There's a following to be done here with one another. Now that's, that's, you know, the, the idea of headship yes. is, is not biblically supportable. Okay. Right. And, and, and because people, people came to the scriptures as if that, uh, if, as if that was there and it was primarily mm. white men. Yeah. Right. Believe and that. So yeah. they then, yeah, they had a grid through which that they funneled everything. So for example, sure. wives submit to your husband and it starts a new paragraph, right? Yeah. Wives submit to your husbands, you know, and it goes on from there. Yeah. But it's in the middle of a sentence. And the word submit mm. is not even in the Greek. Mm-hmm. It's not there, right? And so they put it there. They started a new paragraph. They started a new sentence. Why would they do that? So where what verb should be there? If there isn't submit, what's the verb, right? So you got to go find the verb and you start tracking backwards through that sentence. And all you find is adverbial clauses, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, submitting one to another, adverbial clause not a verb, right? So you keep going back up the sentence. You know what the verb is? No. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. If you want to put a verb there, wives, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Not submit. But again, but again, we have such a dominating idea and, and therefore we don't know how to read scripture because we've got assumptions. We assume that it's going to say what we think it's going to say. And therefore, we don't know how to even read it. And we're so used to taking some of the scripture literally and some of it not literally. You know, so take, we want to take my people, my people whom I love, evangelical fundamentalists. We want to take a fish, a fish that swallows somebody and spits them out three days later, or a talking snake. We want to take that literally, but we don't want to take the Sermon on the Mount literally. We don't want to turn our, we don't want to, love our enemies you know it's like that can't be literal right so we've got all kinds of ways you know to get around the the fact that it's literal these are things that jesus is saying yeah and but we don't want to deal with that so we're going to deal with six literal days of creation or whatever so Lindsay and i Lindsay and i have really experienced um opportunities to experiment with being unified and being unified in in business and in family and in faith and upfront relationships like coming from different religious backgrounds which you know i, I less associate with now but talk to us about how unity can heal uh well, honestly it can heal backwards and it can heal forwards no, but talk to us a little bit about unity yeah yeah what does it represent unity can be it, it, uh, an idol mm. okay unity, unity can become an idol just mm. like purpose can become an idol mm. right anything yeah. that okay. that you submit for love easily becomes an idol okay so because how are you going to define it how are you going to define that you've reached it now you have all the rules of what it means there it's by your unity is not saying so be unified. It's like, no, it is by your unity that others will see. It's not, here's a plan to be unified. As soon as you do that, you're down the same road as the the law written on stone. And you'll create a set of expectations. Here's a, you know, and expectations are just prophesied disappointments anyway. So it's like, so now you're under the law of unity, right? So 
what replaces it? What really is the truth here? It's love. Yes. And there's no definition for two people the same because they're not living in the same world responding to the same things. Yeah. So in my relationship with Kim, if you if you watched us, you would think that you were watching me doing things in order to have unity with Kim. Not true at all. You would think that I was and it's unilateral. It's a covenant. You know, a contract, because as soon as you talk unity, you're not talking contract. And and the thing about a contract is that it's always for your sake. It's never for the sake of the other person. You make a contract that's always self-centered. A covenant is unilaterally for the sake of the other. This is the way God is. God is not a contractual God. God is a God is a covenantal God. And so you see that. You see it with Abraham, right? You, you sleep over here, I'm going to do the whole figure eight thing, and I'm going to make a covenant with you. Guess what? I don't keep a record of wrongs. That's, agape doesn't keep a record of wrongs. God is agape. God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That'll mess with your theology, my people's theology. Because to have eternal conscious torment, you have to have a record of wrongs, you know? And so, yeah. I mean, it's just fundamentally a problem. And so, again... Don't, I mean, this life is so simple in one sense. It's got to work for children. It's got to work for first century slaves. It's got to work, right? What is it? Be an expression of love. And you're, you're right about the fact that it, it begins with our, the revelation in us of our union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, apart from which we cannot even exist. Right. Yeah. So the divine life is not there as a spark. The divine life is there as the wholeness of the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the wholeness of who I am. Right. So I don't keep track of anything in terms of what Kim does or doesn't do. I don't keep a record of wrongs. Right. It's just not part of the way that I live. So, so when you watch me, I'm constantly doing and responding to the next thing that is actually in front of me, regardless of whether it's hard or simple or easy or wondrous or it's, it's just not a part of the way that I function anymore. Yes, now, sir. I didn't get there by some sudden great event that changed me. I yes. got there slowly, incrementally, painfully, you know. Um, uh, so I, I'll tell you an example. Amy, who's four days late, uh, overdue with her second baby. She, um, when she was pregnant with uh, Evie, who's now just turned two, they were they were in the pool, her and Kevin, her husband. And uh, I had been reading information about why it was so important for a for a pregnant woman to get the shot, you know, the COVID shot. And the more I read, the the more I got concerned. Concern is a baptized word for fear. And uh, <laughs> so I got, I got more concerned. I'm writing that down. So, well, it's a true. I mean, we, a baptized we like to word we like for to fear. That's good. <laughs> That's just really Whatever good. Keep going. Here, well, Keep I'm, going. I'm concerned. What yeah. they're really doing is freaking out. And yeah. They just don't want to be a truth teller about it. Yeah. So, so I've got all this information and I walk out onto the deck 
And would you believe it? It must have been God. It must have been the Holy Spirit. But our conversation turned to why it was so important for a woman, to, a pregnant woman, to get the COVID shot. Wow. I'm being absolutely facetious. Of I course. manipulated yep. that uh -huh. conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, yeah. uh, and, but, you know, I'm ignoring the fact that the real fear that I'm, I called it concern. I'm just concerned. But my real feel, fear is that in my imagination, I'm future tripping. I'm already in a situation where I'm at a funeral. There's two caskets, a big one and a little one. If I'd have been a truth teller, I'd have gone, Amy, this got nothing to do with you, but I am freaking out. I think you're going to die. Right? But did I do that? Absolutely not. Because, you know, I'm the dad. I know so much more than everybody. And, uh, and I'm concerned. So I'm talking to Amy about this. And I look at her and, and she goes, Dad, I just don't sense that this is right for me. Now, that should have ended the conversation right there. But no, no, I double down because I'm so concerned. And, and I work the situation and finally I'm so frustrated. I turn to Kevin and I say, Kevin, this baby is as much yours. Why don't you do something about this? And I look at Amy and tears just running down her face. Worse, I walk back in the house, house and I'm justifying myself. Like, I'm it's so horrible. Like, well, if they die, I would have told them the truth. Like, how horrible is that? You know, how twisted is that? And, uh, because you know, I didn't. I didn't realize I was trying to play the Holy Spirit in my daughter's life and I didn't trust the Holy Spirit in my daughter's life. I wanted to control it. I wanted to control her. And and about half an hour, which thank, thankfully, it only takes me a half an hour. It used to take me months. <laughs> but, but half an hour, I have a come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says to me is, you're such an And as soon as I hear it, I just fall apart. And I, I go out there and I ask for their forgiveness. And I, I, ask, I tell them why I'm asking for their forgiveness. You know, all the power mongering and the controlling and the fear. And um, Amy goes, Dad, you didn't really think we thought you were perfect, right? You know, and they easily extended their forgiveness. But again, this is about your question about how we love. How sir. do we love? Yes, sir. And and the submitting thing is about how do we have power? People don't know. I mean, people don't need to know that I'm right. Mm. They need to know that I love them. Yes, sir. That's right. And so as soon as you have a hedge, headship model, you're now in some form of subservient control. Yeah. There is a person who is being owned and controlled and a person who is utilizing that because they think it's the right thing, which also meets their ego needs and who knows what else. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and it usually doesn't work like that because the woman's going to get mad and manipulate back. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've never seen so terrible. Lynn's, Lynn's, I'm going to hand back over to you. You've had so many opportunities, um, to, uh, to push blame. And I've watched you continually learn over and over how to give grace and to offer forgiveness in your business, especially 
I've watched you suffer through things, but learn through that suffering and hand love back when you're kind of handed something that's smelly. You're like, nope, not giving this back. I'm going to give you something good. And I'm wondering what's on your mind as Paul's sharing, because I can see you thinking because I know you so well, but I'm wondering what you're thinking. You know, I love what you're talking about because what you're talking about is so relational and intimate and personal and different every time, right? If you're if you're present to the the humanity in someone in that moment, it might be that you then teach someone through love because they don't have enough information why there might be risk for their well-being, right? Like it sure. may be. Sure. But but your point was not whether vaccines are the, the way to go or not. Your point was that love should dictate from love, not for love and not from fear should dictate our way of being towards another human being. One 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 thing that I've had I've had struggles with deeply as a person who is a recovering people pleaser and codependent like I've really God has done beautiful things in me healing this part of me um is learning the difference between trust versus unconditional love. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that because this is where you know what I mean when we walk along this journey like you've got, you just said you've got friends in death row. Well, let's be honest. If one of them was a pedophile that, re, that like had, had had constantly reoffended, would you leave them as a babysitter for your beautiful grandchildren? Of course not. Uh, right. So of here we go. Not. So here we go. So this is where it becomes incredibly pertinent that trust and love are separated in my mind. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'm learning the difference between the two because trust is earned and love is unconditional. Such a great question. Usually, my conversation about trust is in in the face of control, and because they are mutually opposed, even though control is mythological. Um, trust and unconditional love, yeah. Because same with forgiveness, you can forgive someone and never trust them. Uh-huh. And uh, so, I mean, you can unconditionally love someone and not trust them. Like your wife. Your wife said it took eleven years to finally trust. Absolutely, you. and and. I didn't think it would ever happen. And that was okay. That was okay. I let that go. I never, the thing, I know I hit the bottom because I never pointed a finger at her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or anybody, anybody. I didn't point the finger at the abuse. I didn't point. Yeah. I mean, all of that is relevant to the story, but I didn't blame anything out here. You know, I did the work on the inside. Beautiful. But, But yeah, unconditional love. Um. And I think you're right. Trust trust is built on reconciliation, mm. right? Forgiveness is easy. It really is comparative to reconciliation. Yeah. Forgiveness is for the sake of the one who's been victimized. Mm-hmm. And it's for their sake. It's so yeah. that they don't have to carry around this corpse that's putrefying everybody else around them. So it's for the sake of the one who's been victimized. You don't have to wait till somebody gets their stuff together so that you can then forgive them. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, some of them died already. What are you going to do? You know. Yeah. So, so forgiveness is is really quite simple in comparison. Reconciliation is the work of of earning, to use your language, earning trust, and that requires confession, telling the truth. It requires. Asking for owning, owning the asking of forgiveness, the owning of what you've done, plus all the spill out, all the ripples in every way that it happens. And so that is an ongoing, I mean, 30 years ago, and I am still not reconciled to some of the people that I harmed. Right? 
and I'm waiting. I wait because I don't have any, I don't have any rights in those areas. I cannot force trust or reconciliation. So then it requires repentance, which means to change, to change your mind, change your ways, change your behavior. And that is over time. Yes. Kim had to watch me be consistent over time. Right. So I was doing an interview with um, a well-known person, Today Show or Good Morning America. I don't know which one she's on. And she had been horribly betrayed by her husband. And we went for a walk after the interview and she says to me, does Kim trust you? And I said, yes. And she has every reason to. And she went, Paul, how did you get there? And I start talking to her about this movement between confession and repentance and all of that involved. And she said, none of that has happened. And I said, then there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You know, you're, you're not going to get reconciled until those things fall into place. And you cannot trust him until those things fall into place. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, I get it. As we talk about it, it makes more sense what you said, that unconditional love has unconditionality to it. Yeah. Trust, trust is awareness of, because obviously Jesus did not entrust himself to people who were out to kill him. Then, you know, there was a timing to this that was important. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah. So, uh, to put it in other words, we live in a contractual world. Make a contract. Right? Don't don't just take the the space of unconditional love, because unless the Holy Spirit says it, the Holy Spirit may say. Open yourself up completely to this. You're going to get totally screwed. <laughs> but if you're not hearing that, make a make a contract. If you are being abused, get the hell out. You know, and uh, it's it's like inviting someone who, like you said, is a pedophile, and there's been no process of reconciliation. And, uh, but, you know, the flip side, like my friends in, on death row say, it is a terrible thing to be only known for the worst day of your life. And that means that there is no ability to change any of that. And, and same guy, Terry, he says, you know, if they kill this body, and it'll be mostly because of the church on the outside killing the church on the inside, if they kill this body, they won't be killing the man who committed the crimes because he died a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So Beautiful. I wow. know. I know. Well, Paul, I know we're wrapping up for this interview and just I wish I could talk to you for 77 million hours with Phil. We, we should do this again. But um, you've said some powerful truths. I love how you brought up because, you know, when Phil talked about unity, he's a he's a master craftsman of unity. And I love how you brought up that, that even that can be an idol. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay. You thought that it can be an idol. I don't think it takes away any way the beauty and the joy and the love and the sincerity of which God has worked through Phil and building unity. Everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. But, but the point that is that it can be an idol. If we say we got to be together, right. so then we sacrifice right. whatever love is dictating in that moment, right? Yeah. And I've seen Phil do that. He's gone. He's gone to people where at certain points there's no trust, there's no reconciliation, and he's moved on, and he's and he's let them choose to opt out of relationship, right? 
And that's what love dictates. But the unity he's offering is for those who are choosing in and following the same person that is Jesus, you know. And at the end of the day, like I've got friends that are atheists, Phil does too. We have people of all different faith backgrounds. We come from all different worlds of backgrounds, you know, and I feel like we're all the amalgamation of our experiences. And yet we all have in us this deep down divine goodness. My mentor, Joe Ritchie, who invited me into the the prayer breakfast world where I met Phil, would always say to me when he he raised 10 children and has you know all these grandchildren and he would say to them I would say to them that doesn't that doesn't feel good to you 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 don't want that when they were doing a bad thing he would remind them, you don't want that it wasn't your bad this is right this is wrong he'd remind them you don't want that and one thing one thing I don't I know I don't want anymore I don't want to be somebody who forgets just like the your friend on death row that says it it hurts to be known for you know the worst day of your life i don't want anymore to hold myself up to the worst day of my life my worst ways of being i don't want that anymore and i've done a lot of that i think one of the greatest um which i just love your kind of last question for you is you know when you talk about this agape love and you have overcome herculean levels of shame from what you've been through in family in relationship in life having so many invitations to believe that you are not enough through the abuse and the treatment, um, having so many invitations to believe you're not enough because of the life you created out of that pain through you know affairs and breaking trust and damaging relationships. How and ultimately does a person learn to love themselves and hold themselves in the totality of that agape love you've been describing? Yeah, you can't do it by trying to defeat shame because shame is an ontological attack. Um, guilt is I've done something wrong, and that has to be dealt with. Shame is I am something wrong, and that has to be replaced with something. And the only thing that it can be replaced with is the truth of your being. What is the truth of your being? Otherwise, shame always will have a foothold. And um, so, I mean, if you independently try to destroy the shame in your life, you will lose. It has to be, like like you said, it has to be that di divine presence, that divine goodness that is deeper than all the other stuff. As shame has no legitimate place in the life of any human being because it's an ontological attack. Yeah. Because no one, for shame when it says you are something wrong, it is not true. It is simply not true. You may have done things that are wrong, but it's not your behavior that defines the reality of who you are. It's the truth that defines it. And the truth has a name for us. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Paul, you're amazing. And Phil, yeah. thank you guys so much for coming. Phil has been awesome. Today. Awesome. Awesome it's to a see. Beautiful you. thing. And we'll just try to see if we can have you back too, Paul, because this is too okay. good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank okay. you guys. Thanks so much. You bet. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.